how can you be sure that Jesus cares for you? How can you be sure that Jesus cares for you? We know that in the Bible, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, as in the past. But how can you know right now, at this moment in time, that Jesus cares for you, like right now, currently? We tend to pray for what we care for. Let me say it another way. Our prayers reveal our cares. Our prayers reveal our cares. I tend to pray for things like when I'm in trouble or when I have a test or when I'm in danger. Uh, we sometimes go to God and we're drawn to him only when times are dark. Uh, John 17, 1 to 19, our passage today, it shows that Jesus also drew near to God in his darkest hour. You'll see that he prays for himself, so Jesus does pray for himself, but he also prays for his disciples. Even in his prayers, Jesus looked towards the interests of others. Our passage today is one of the most intimate and one of the most revealing stories in the entire Bible. We get a glimpse into the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. God the Son and God the Father. And we're also going to see what weighs down on Jesus' heart. We're going to see what he cares for uh, when, when life was hard for him. They're the final moments of his life, and these are going to be Christ's personal prayer requests uh, before his crucifixion. That was our context, so you can write all that down. Jesus draws near to God in prayer before his crucifixion. We get a glimpse of what weighs on his heart, and he prays for himself and for his followers. We're going to see five personal prayer requests from the Son of God. Not only will they teach us about how we are to pray, but they'll also tell us about how we're to live the way that God wants us to live. This first point, glorification, that's going to be our longest point. It's the most important, God's glory. And then the rest will come quickly. Christ prays for his glory, but also for your good. These prayer requests are related to each other, and I hope to help you see and feel that in his darkest hour, Jesus Christ cares for you. The first point is glorification. Glorification, that's going to be found in verses 1 through 10. Jesus first prays for his glorification. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, 
before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Glory, glory, the word glory reveals to God's splendor. It's the radiance of his holiness. It's his grandeur and his majesty and what moves us to worship God. Jesus prays for glorification to go two ways. He first prays for his own glorification, and then he prays for the glorification of God the Father. Jesus said that he had this glory with God the Father even before the world existed. And all who belong to God also belong to Jesus. Now, God, God shares his glory with no one. So when Jesus is asking for his glory, he's making himself equal with God. Jesus is the Son of God, and since Jesus is God, it's not wrong for him to pray for glory. Some people will say, oh, that sounds so selfish of Jesus to pray for glory, but it's not. God deserves glory. He deserves our worship, and so it is not selfish. It's not wrong for Jesus to pray for his own glory. It's right. It's right for Jesus to do that. It it would be wrong for Jesus not to be glorified. It's not prideful for Christ to claim the glory that belongs to him. It's fitting, and it's deserved. How did Jesus glorify God exactly? Jesus says he glorified God on earth by having accomplished the work that God gave him to do. This work was to manifest God's name to God's people. Jesus was to reveal God's character and his person. This was all done through the life and ministry of Jesus. He taught that true, abundant, eternal life is to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Father through the Son. And Jesus says that now the hour has come. The hour refers to God's sovereign timetable of sending Christ to the cross. Jesus is ready to suffer in perfect obedience for the sins of God's people. The cross is the climax of Christ's life. It's the completion of his life's work. And his resurrection boldly reveals his glory. And it marks the beginning of our new life in him. Uh, The glory of God is Jesus Christ on the cross. Is the glory of God the goal of your life? The way that Jesus glorified God was by doing the work that God gave him. And while you must discern... God's unique call on your life. There's still work that all Christians are responsible to do. We're to love our neighbors. We're to care for the widows and orphans, the weak and the helpless. We're to evangelize. It's easy for us to get caught up in our own personal agendas and goals while forgetting about God's purposes and kingdom. One practical way to help Make the glory of God the goal of your life is to dedicate everything that you do to God. 
you dedicate everything that you do to God. Let's pretend that you're going to take a test. You can give God glory while you're taking that test by dedicating that test to him. So your teacher tells you you're going to have a test on Friday. So you pray. You say, dear God, I dedicate this test to you. You're going to go home and you're going to study and you're going to study well knowing that you already dedicated it to him. So it belongs to God and you want to do your best for him. You're studying throughout the week. And then when the test finally comes, you can say before you take it, dear God, I'm going to take this test right now. I've already dedicated it to you. I pray that you would help me do well on it. The results, they belong to you. I I did the best that I could and I'm going to trust you here. And if you do good, then you can say, dear God, thank you. Thank you for helping me do well on that. It belongs to you, and the glory belongs to you. And when your friends ask you how you did, you can say, hey, I did great. Um, Thank God for that. You know, I I dedicated to him. I studied for it, and I did well. I'm thankful for that. And if you don't do well on the test, let's say that you fail the test, it still belongs to God. And you say, dear God, I dedicated it to you. I I did my best. But you know what? I trust you. It's okay. It's one test. I'm going to be all right. And I'm going to trust you with the rest of my life. You see, dedicating things to God, it's it's not like a a magic trick. But really, that's how we should be living our entire lives. Dedicating our entire beings to God. Not just tests, but everything that we do to him. Uh, This simple act of dedicating what you do to God can help with making his glory the goal of your life. It's focusing your life for the fame of his name. Uh, Next slide, please. This verse, it says, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by faith, by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this cross-reference, the name of Jesus means his reputation and his renown. It's like his glory, and God's glory is all-encompassing. So as we continue to look at the rest of Christ's prayer requests, keep in mind that all of these prayer requests have the goal of God's glory in mind. It's all-encompassing. Christ prays for us not because we are so great, but because his praying for us gives him praise. When we live out our lives, we glorify God as his prayers for us are answered. The rest of his prayer requests all serve to give him glory. Next slide, please. The second point that Jesus prays for is our preservation. It's the preservation of his people. Preservation. This is verses 11 to 15. This is the verse, it says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The passage continues. Next slide, please. It says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, 
just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus uses these words, keep, kept, guarded. He speaks of none of his disciples being lost except for Judas, and that was already prophesied in Scripture. So this prayer for preservation, it's a prayer for spiritual protection so that they will not forsake their faith. Notice, notice how Jesus specifically says what he does not ask for. He does not ask that God would take his followers out of the world. Okay? He does not pray that he would take his followers out of the world. Jesus means for his disciples to continue their ministry on earth. And Christ means for us to continue waging spiritual warfare against Satan. We are to remain in the world and bear witness to Christ. This is where we get the true idea that Christians are in the world, but we're not of the world. You, you are to be salt and light in this decaying and darkened world. Christ prays to keep you from committing evil and for his eternal kingdom. He does not pray that you will be kept from danger or even from death in this life. The point is perseverance. Christ intends that your faith will be kept intact. Have you experienced trials or suffering in this life? It's important to understand early on that Jesus does not purpose to take you out of every difficult test and situation. There will be many difficult days ahead, but I want to give encouragement today to those who are truly and wholeheartedly committed to Christ. Here's some encouragement for you. God wants you to know that he is sovereign over every circumstance. He is in total control, and he uses tests and trials for your good and for his glory. While you may not see or understand how or why your lives go the way that they do, you are to trust your heavenly Father who loves you and he keeps you. Look at this cross-reference. Next slide, please. This is from Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Do you see that? You are called. If you are called, then you will be kept. They go hand in hand. No matter what happens, and even when your hearts hurt, if you are called, then you will be kept. Come and trust the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, and our Good Shepherd. Let's move on. Our next point, point number three, is unification. This is in verses 11 to 12. Jesus' third prayer request is for unification. It's for the unity of his people. Let's read the verse together. Next slide, please. It says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the goal of our preservation is unity. It's a unity that reflects the unity of the Holy Trinity. It's the unity of a common mind and purpose and unqualified mutual love 
and a sustained comprehensive togetherness in mission. This is a relational unity that binds us all together. It binds believers together with each other and to the Lord. Another way to phrase this is that through Christ, we find community. Through Christ, we find community. Where can you commit to find better community and experience greater unity in the church? Come out to Sunday school and Friday night fellowship. Share in your small groups. Join a service ministry at church. Maybe you're busy with school or clubs or activities outside of church. Maybe you prioritize your school friends more than your church friends. I dare you, I dare you to make the biggest investments in belonging to the church. Make your biggest investments in belonging to the church. Unity in Christ is stronger than any shared sport. Unity in Christ is better than any marching band, color guard, or orchestra. Unity in Christ is more true than your most trusted friends, and even your family. This call to a unified community is a lifesaver for those who are adrift in a sea of loneliness. Uh, This call is to turn off the spotlight of exclusivity and competition in the church for the sake of unity in Christ. It's a call to come back together. And you cannot be passive about this, okay? It's not enough to just show up to church and then to leave without talking to anybody. You need to share your life with others. So whether we're preaching or teaching uh, or whether we're singing or praying or whether we're speaking or serving each other, active participation in the church must be intentional. It must be intentional. Come to church ready to both give and receive. In Christ, we belong to each other, and we belong to God. Look at this cross-reference. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. If you're a believer, this is where you belong. You will always have a place, a community, and a home here. The church is not fake or flimsy. It stands on the solid rock of Christ. Unity in Jesus is more real than anything in this world. Our fourth point is jubilation. Jubilation. This is found in verses 13 to 15. Jesus' fourth prayer request is for jubilation. It's a prayer request for the joy of Jesus to be fulfilled in his followers. You can think of jubilation in the sense that it's a shared joy amongst people. It's it's shared. So you can have joy yourself, but this jubilation, it's a jubilant feeling that we can share together in community with Christ. Let's read the passage. It says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is going to be with God the Father, but he does not want his followers to be depressed. He wants them to have the joy of the Lord, and it's a joy that believers get to share together with Christ. 
It's a prayer for jubilation to be spread across all Christians. Christ keeping us is not simply for him to accumulate more followers and to increase the numbers of people that will become Christian. No. His prayer is for the actual happiness, the actual joy of the individual people that are united together in Christ. If you look closely, look closely at this, you'll see that the joy comes from what Christ speaks into the world. Do you see that? And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Joy in Christ comes from his words. It's from the things that he speaks. His words are recorded in the Bible, and what he is teaching us is the truth about who he is. The whole point of the book of John is that these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We learned that we are to be united, and this point actually clarifies and furthers that we are to be united by Christ's blood, but also by his book. Christians have always been committed to teaching and to fellowship. Jesus speaks directly through his word for our joy. He said this earlier back in John 15. Look at this cross-reference. Next slide, please. It says, these things I have spoken to you. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When you come to church, is your joy truly anchored in Christ's blood and in the Bible? Or have you let other activities replace his home in your heart? While services and programs are great at keeping us connected, True togetherness is found in the Son of God and in Scripture. We love the Lamb and we love His laws. Worship leaders, do you care more about God being glorified or about you yourself sounding great and making good music? Uh, For those who are going to go on short-term missions, do you care more about sharing the good news and reaching others for Jesus, or do you care more about just hanging out and having fun with your friends? For those in speakers' tournaments coming up, do you care more about the truth that you are sharing, or do you care more about the competition and about just writing something compelling? In these examples I just gave you, selfishness, is stealing the joy that belongs in Christ. Humble yourself. Humble yourself by sitting underneath the preaching and teaching of God's word. Go out of your way to serve and to put the needs of others before yourself and above your own agendas. Confess your sins readily and share more of your life in your small groups. Get yourself out of the walls of the church and seek to win others for Christ in the world. You must decrease and Christ must increase. God will restore to you the joy of his salvation and uphold you with a willing spirit. That's how you find joy in Jesus Christ. You must decrease and let him increase. Now, while God wants us to be happy, he also wants us to be holy. Our fifth and final point is for sanctification. Sanctification, that's verses 16 to 19. In the mind of God, these two things Holiness and happiness, they're inseparable. Deep happiness will only come 
from deep holiness. Christ's fifth and final prayer request is for his followers' sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy and to be set apart. To be made holy and to be set apart. Let's read the verse together. It says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. In John's gospel, sanctification is always for mission. Christ prays that we would be sanctified in the truth of the word of God. Our sanctification in the word is for our sending into the world. Are you set apart and are you equipped for the kingdom? Is your heart and your mind and your character ready to do the will of God? In practical terms, no one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without the word of God. The Bible is what conforms believers to the mind of Christ. Are you being sanctified in the truth of God's word? It's been a very busy time for me and my family recently. We're planning to move, and so um, we've been kind of busy. Now, we just had Christmas, so we just had the holidays, and I'm going to confess something to you right now. I found myself drifting away from God's word. I was uh, becoming a bit more irritable, a bit more anxious, and you could just tell that my mood was not right. Now, I sensed this in myself, and I knew something wasn't right. And so I, I said, well, Aaron, what, what's going on here? Why are you becoming like this? Is it your situation? And the answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is that I was becoming more irritable, more sinful, uh, because I was away from Scripture. I was away from scripture. I hadn't been reading God's word daily like I know that I should be. And so uh, I confessed, I repented. And what I, I did is that I went to one of my favorite Bible reading plans, something that I found to be most helpful. And I just started reading through one of the gospels. I've been reading through Mark. And if you know the gospel of Mark, immediately I saw Jesus. I saw him. He was there. He was healing people. He was helping people. He was showing people their sin, and it softened my heart. It helped me find better peace and joy despite the busyness of life. If you find yourself away and drifting in the world, you need to tether yourself in Scripture. I'm not saying this to say that I did a good job. I'm saying this because God saved me from my own sin. Even for us who have been Christians all our lives, we think that we are around God's word enough. We think that we've had enough of it and that we know it. It's not true. It's our daily bread. We need it every single day, myself included. If you're finding yourself spiritually dry, dive into the Bible and soak yourself in Scripture. Look at this cross-reference. It says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You see that? It endures forever. So no matter what is happening in your life, you can be steadied. By staying in Scripture, you will get a glimpse of the everlasting God in eternity, and you will ground yourself in God and His Word. Let's go to the next slide, please. It says that uh, five personal prayer requests is what we saw in our passage today. Uh, when I use the word personal, remember that I've been saying that these, these are Jesus' personal prayer requests? 
I mean it in two ways. I mean it that they're personal from Jesus. They're coming from his heart. But they're also personal. It's also personal in the sense that it's for you. It's aimed directly, personally towards you. It's from him and for you. I want you to feel the intimacy here, the closeness of Christ when he prays for his people. With all this in mind, here is our big idea. Next slide, please. Jesus prays for his people to be protected, united, and sanctified for their joy and for his glory. Jesus prays for his people to be protected, united, and sanctified for their joy and for his glory. Here's a challenging question for you. Uh, Next slide, please. Look at this challenging question that I have for you. How do we know Christ's prayer will actually be answered? Do these prayers that Jesus is saying mean anything in terms of affecting our lives today? Will these prayer requests actually be accomplished? Does Jesus just pray hoping that God will hear him? Read this. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Next slide. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. In the Old Testament, the high priests were the ones who did the equivalent of praying to God. They were the mediators between God and man. They offered animal sacrifices to act as an imperfect atonement for the sins of the people. But these priests, they were sinners themselves. They were human, and they would die in their sins. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest, the true and better priest who bridges the gap between man and God. He himself is our sinless sacrifice, and his blood covers us so that we can come before God. His life pays the price for our sins. And since Christ's sacrifice is perfect and has appeased the wrath of God, we can approach God's throne of grace. Jesus prays for us, and we can be sure that God is pleased to answer the prayers of his Son, Jesus' work on the cross accomplishes and seals the answer to his prayers. They will be accomplished. What's amazing about our passage today is that technically, his disciples, the people that he was praying for, they were not yet saved while Christ was praying for them. In the same way, we were not yet saved while Christ was praying for us. Do you realize this? Christ had not yet gone to the cross to die for our sins, when he was praying this prayer, we were still God's enemies. We were enemies. But Christ still prayed for us. You know how I pray for my enemies? I pray that they'll perish. Jesus is nothing like you and me. 
Our holy God has the biggest heart. The cross is proof that he meant what he prayed for. Here's a verse for you. Next slide, please. It says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ calls us to follow his example. In Matthew 5.44, he commands us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The only way you can do this, the only way I can do this, is if our hearts are transformed. You must be born again. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose to life again, you can be saved from your sins. And you can have eternal life with God our Father in heaven. You will be part of the family of God. And you will find eternal, everlasting, abundant, and true life in Jesus Christ. If your heart is moved in any way after hearing this sermon today, come talk to me so I can pray with you, please. Next slide. These are our application questions. Uh, I gave you different application points throughout our sermon. And so here's a quick summary before our conclusion in the form of questions. Is the glory of God the goal of your life? Is the glory of God what you live for? Have you trusted God in trials, believing he loves you and will keep you by preserving your faith? Where can you commit to find better community and experience greater unity in the church? When you come to church, is your joy truly anchored in Christ's blood and in the Bible? Finally, are you being sanctified in the truth of God's word. Let's go back to the beginning again for our conclusion. I asked you, how can you be sure that Christ cares for you? The Bible says that Jesus died for your sins, but how do you know right now that Jesus actually cares for you? Here's the answer. You can be sure that Christ cares for you because he prays for you. Jesus drew near to God in prayer before his darkest hour. But get this, while we tend to stop praying once life gets better for us or once the problem is resolved, Jesus never stops praying for you. You might be surprised to find that Christ continues to pray for us. Here's a verse for you. Next slide, please. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus resurrected and is at the right hand of God right now, interceding for you. He is praying for you. Christ is compelled to pray for you because he loves you. While he has moved on from the cross, he has not moved on from his care for you. He continues to pray for you, interceding for you. He is active and he advocates for you in heaven. What Christ prays for shows what he cares for. His prayers reveal his cares. And he is constantly praying for you because his love for you continues. This is our Savior. This is our King. This is our friend. Jesus prays for his people to be protected, united, and sanctified for their joy and for his glory. This should encourage and empower you. We can claim these prayer requests as our own as we strive to pray without ceasing. And we can be sure that when our words, when our words, when our prayers stop here on earth, our hearts are tethered to Christ in heaven who never stops praying for us, who never stops caring for you. Jesus is our great high priest and we can have confidence that his prayers will be answered and they will be accomplished. 
you are loved and covered by the prayers of Jesus Christ. The Son of God sets his heart on you. Our Lord prays for those he loves. Jesus prays for his people. Let's pray. This uh, closing prayer is a prayer poem that I wrote for you, and it's from the perspective of Jesus praying to his Father. Okay, so the prayer that I wrote is pretending that I'm Jesus and I'm praying to God for you. I am praying for my people. I am praying for my own. I am praying for the ones that you selected and you chose to be your very sons, to be your daughters who, adopted as your children, will rule and reign with you. I pray that they'll be holy, sanctified, and set apart. I pray that all the words I say will take hold of their hearts. I pray they'll be united by my book and by my blood. I pray that they will stand in solidarity as one. I ask that you'll protect them and keep their faith intact. I pray that you'll preserve them till heaven takes them back. I ask that on the cross, they'll see my glory bright. I pray that they will turn from sin and trust my sacrifice. And by my resurrection, when death will be destroyed, with love and my affection, Father, may they share our joy.